Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Physiology Secrets Podcast. Nick Jankowski is here on my own today, and there's good reason for that. Luke and I uh, got in got in touch with each other the other day, uh, thinking of ideas that we could talk about on the podcast, and. This episode required a little bit further research. We started to chat about it and we, we did record an episode. We might release it at some point to go a bit back and forth. Or we might revisit it uh, in a bit more of that discussion format. But the reason we came together on this, and, and I guess I wanted to particularly go away and do some extra research, was because it is a quite to- complex topic. But also it's one that we, we think a few athletes and people who listen to this podcast might be quite interested in and we wanted to get it right. So that was the main reason why uh, I'm going to do this one on my own today. Um, basically what happened was Luke and I have two athletes completely independent of each other who asked us the exact same question about the exact same podcast. Um, And and I guess this is where it's sort of an interesting one that we want to make sure we got it right because it does start to lean itself into some changing of methodology, particularly around our VO2 max intervals. So long story short, in terms of the podcast episode, um, feel free again, touch with if you touch with us if you want the link to go listen to it. Um, It wasn't on our podcast. It was a different one that we got sent by these athletes. Um, But in terms of what this, what this episode was suggesting was doing our VO2 max intervals and using higher cadences to try and induce um, a different stimulus, if you like, to keep it really simple to begin with. So their thought process there was um, particularly in higher trained athletes. Now we're gonna get this uh, stimulus from our traditional VO2 type work in the lesser trained, or if you're starting from absolute scratch, absolutely you're gonna get it in your normal normal, uh, normal VO2 type intervals, your two to four minute on, equal work to rest, 90 five plus percent of vo2 max intensity all that good stuff that we talk about here for the typical amateur if you're starting out a low base or you you're sort of pretty mid-pack type age group should i say um you're probably going to get benefit out of doing the traditional basic stuff keep it simple as our as our best policy here we're more probably leaning this and i guess where this is maybe more directed we'll talk about some practical application at the end but where it's more directed is probably that higher trained top end age group of borderline elite uh, and professional. We're looking at breaking through maybe a plateau in our ability to improve VO2 max. We're trying to find that next one, two, maybe 3% improvement overall, rather than those big foundational, let's just boost up the size of the engine. It's like, well, our engine's already quite good. How do we keep that progression going instead of just, well, this is kind of it. We can't, we can't seemingly improve any further. Maybe we actually can. So we're looking at high cadence. And, and I guess the to give you the hypothesis of what this podcast was talking about, or I guess the, the thought process, it's when we induce a higher cadence, and there's plenty of research on this, and we've seen this in our lab in terms of some of the economy testing we've been doing recently at the same wattage. So they actually referenced a research study um, just looking at cycling cadence. And, and ultimately, uh, um, they tested a bunch of athletes uh, at the exact same wattage. So they're all riding along, I believe it was 200 watts from memory. Um, and they tested them at say 70, I think it was 70, 90, maybe 110 um, RPM. I could have had, I could have those cadence ranges wrong, but it's very, very close to that. So ultimately they're looking at what is the effect at the same, same power output? What is the effect of an increased cadence? And ultimately with an increasing cadence, we see an increase in heart rate. You might intuitively know this if you go out and ride quite a bit. Um, you're going to see an increase in in heart rate. Reason for that is, well, we're we're producing more muscular contraction, so there's a bit more an effect of the what we call a skeletal muscle pump. So ultimately, the blood's coming back up to the heart a bit easier, just because the muscles are contracting and helping to squeeze the blood. The blood moves in one direction; it's one-way valves in our in our. Um, our arteries, our veins, etc. So the blood can only move in one direction. It's like a tube of toothpaste. If you've got some blood in the legs, in the veins, 
muscles contract, it's going to squeeze it. It's only got one direction it can go, and that's back up to the heart. So that increased inc increased number of contractions to cause that increased cadence is going to lift our heart rate. We're going to have more blood flow around the body. Now, this study uh, found that ultimately, with an increased cadence, um, we get an increased cardiac output, largely as a result of heart rate. It also suggested that as an increase of stroke volume. Now, this can be this can be calculated, uh, I guess, based on um, some echocardiography work or echocardiogram um, scans. Very fancy way of saying we do an ultrasound of your heart, have a look at have a look at how much blood, and we can get a very close estimate of how much blood's being ejected from the heart. So that's what's allowing us to measure something like stroke volume. Stroke volume multiplied by heart rate, so stroke volume being how much blood's pumped out per beat of the heart, multiplied by beats per minute heart rate is going to give us that cardiac output. So with an increase in cadence, they saw an increase in cardiac output, again, for the same wattage, by about 34%. Um, pretty significant increase. And that, that increase, though, was in excess of the oxygen uptake increase. So what we also see with an increased cadence at the same wattage is you actually start to use more oxygen. Um, so what it means is in that starting point, it's less economical. So for the most part, when we're competing and racing, probably not optimal to ride at a higher cadence than what's necessary. And that's why you often hear um, ride at your preferred or natural cadence. That's going to be the best. Your body will make up and, and know, and, and I guess guide you or direct you to the most economical cadence. So for racing and, um, and time trialing and competing and things like that, jump on the cadence that feels the most comfortable because it probably is the best for you. This is then looking at, I guess, this podcast, where it was taking this study from and analyzed this was saying, well, if we get a significant increase in cardiac output and there's, I guess, greater stimulus on the heart or stress on the heart, largely from that venous return, so blood being pumped back around, um, back up to the heart, that's going to induce more, um, I guess, what we call preload or more pressure on the heart pressure loading is actually the, the sort of, I guess, technical term. Um, that's that's going to induce that because there's just more blood circulating through the system. So the heart's going to feel more and be forced to feel more when we get up to high, higher intensities as well as that high cadence, um, more than normal, which is the stimulus we actually need to be able to have adaptations to our left ventricle. Now, the the, the complex way of saying it is eccentric eccentric development of the left ventricle, if you like, uh, or eccentric loading. Basically, we just want to increase the size of that left ventricle. Now, your traditional VO2 work, like I said, for the most most part, is going to be enough of a stimulus here. What happens when we get to, uh, I guess, the difference? And there's an interesting study looking at the differences between, um, I guess, how that left ventricle adapts between elite cyclists, uh, so, so semi-elite semi and well-trained cyclists, and then untrained. And there's a significant uh, significant difference in that, what we call eccentric hypertrophy. So that development of the heart or the, the enlargement of the, the left ventricle to allow it to fill with more blood. Um, and basically what it tells us in terms of that research study, looking at the heart adaptations, it tells us that the higher trained you are, the, the more your heart ultimately is going to stretch and open, which is actually going to require more of a stimulus. So we need to put you under a bit more strain and find a way to, to, to increase the strain on the heart to continue to get that adaptation. When we're lesser trained, because we don't have as much of a stimulus on the heart chronically and we haven't had that uh, significant uh, adaptation go on as or as much adaptation go on, our stroke volume plateaus, plateaus a little bit earlier, in which case we don't need as much stimulus. So we don't need as much blood flow coming back to cause that enough of a pressure load or preload on the uh, on the ventricles to, I guess, stretch the heart and force it to, to grow and improve in size. Because at the end of the day, we're looking at the heart as a muscle. So we can develop it similar to what your biceps, your quads and that can do. Um, acts a little bit differently, but in terms of 
we want to try and really force it to increase its capacity because that's going to allow us to fill the heart with more blood. And when we're able to fill it with more blood, what it's also going to do is force us to be get, getting better at pumping harder as well. So that means we can eject more out per, per beat, which is that increase in stroke volume. As I mentioned though, this gets harder and harder to generate as a stimulus as we go up in terms of level of training. So the higher trained you are, the more of a, uh, I guess, a stimulus we need to be able to induce this. And this is where maybe this high cadence might be useful in that population. Um, we know, so so that that looking at those elite sub, non-elite cycles wasn't part of the, the podcast episode we're referring to um, that was talking about this. I did, I did a little bit of research to find that, but it sort of starts to make a bit of sense in terms of the, the higher trained athletes probably need that extra little bit of stimulus. The lesser trained athlete or, or the pretty okay trained athlete probably doesn't need it as much. Maybe it might be a case-by-case scenario. Uh, and then the lesser trained athlete, the untrained uh, population who's starting out for the first time, for example, um, probably doesn't really need to worry about um, stimulating too much more because they're probably already getting enough of a stimulus from their typical work. So an interesting complex uh, uh, combination of, of factors going into that. Um, coming back to that podcast episode the other study that they referred to which i guess is probably the part of that episode or that podcast that i had a bit of concern with was they they talked about the high cadence stuff and i agree with that to a large uh, to a large extent yes we get uh, increase in heart rate yes it's going to induce uh, potentially that higher higher cadence is going to help induce some of that that stimulus we want for that eccentric hypertrophy of the heart improve some of our stroke volume and ultimately cardiac output key component of vo2 max in terms of that blood supply aspect great we're ticking a lot of boxes the part that i i guess is the the part i'm a bit concerned about in terms of directly saying well everyone needs to go out or majority of people need to go out need to sit on high cadences and it's a better way of doing things um was they referred to a study where they were looking at untrained cyclists and that's always a bit of a red flag for me in terms of a lot of the people we see and probably listen to this podcast probably aren't going to be in that untrained category you're going to be in a in a recreationally trained or a well-trained and maybe even elite status um, potentially. So, um, but the, the, the other study they are referring to was the improvements in VO2 peak. So ultimately um, lifting up the ceiling when it comes to aerobic engine. Um, following six weeks of endurance training was largely attributed to cardiac output, uh, a peak increase uh, and also oxygen carrying capacity of blood. So basically what it was getting at was there's more of a, um, what we call hematological, basically blood and cardiovascular system change then there was skeletal muscle adaptation as a result of endurance training they then linked that to all right if we have an increased cadence that's going to put more stress on the cardiovascular system that's going to induce this eccentric hypertrophy and that's our way out to get more gains out of vo2 max which if we're looking at the one and two percent it's going to maybe help us get up that top but i think when we're starting to see some blending of untrained versus trained studies and we're trying to then apply that to generally what's a trained population we have to just be a little bit careful so not to say it wasn't a good thought process and i definitely like where this uh, podcast was going in terms of um trying to think outside the box and provide some different ideas and i'm i'm going to absolutely implement some of this and test it out with a few of these athletes that um, particularly the ones who sent it through to us and wanted to question it and sort of inquisitive i think it's an interesting way of doing things and it's an interesting stimulus that we're after i mean it makes a lot of sense in theory whether in practice it's as effective as they're i guess they're claiming it is um is it is another component because there isn't too much research going going and sort of scrubbing through the literature and deep diving over the last particularly the last 24 hours before recording this there isn't much in terms of really understanding what the effect of cadence might have on something like VO2 max and and the improvement of, like I guess linking these studies together, the improvement of that stroke volume, that that eccentric hypertrophy of the left ventricle, um, w- whether that is actually the mechanism or whether that's maybe an assumed mechanism, um, and it's is it 
is it a necessary stimulus or not, I guess is where I'm getting at here. So that's kind of a good a good bit of background um, in terms of what we're talking about. So hopefully as, as a little bit of summary at this point, and I'll get into some practical applications immediately after this, but as a bit of a summary, ultimately, as we increase our cadence, our heart rate's going to go up. That's going to induce more venous return, so more blood cycling through the body, more blood flow. That is likely to put, and I'll use the word clearly there, likely to put more of a pressure load on the left ventricle, which is a necessary stimulus we need to induce eccentric hypertrophy, aka increase our stroke volume, increase the amount of blood we can fill into the left ventricle, but then also pump out because we can pump harder when it when it fills more. It has to pump harder to get as much of it out um, to ultimately aid us to continue to improve VO2 max, particularly for those who might have already experienced a plateau. So from a, uh, I guess, practical application, what can we do with all this information we've just talked about? I know we've covered a bit there, and if you have questions, feel free to send them through at the end of this podcast. I'll, I'll chat about how we can uh, get those to us. Like I said a few times, most amateurs can probably stick to the basics. That, that's practical tip number one at the end of this. Maybe using a slightly higher cadence at your VO2 work is, is going to be useful. It's definitely, um, I don't think it's necessarily going to be harmful, but I think for most, we can probably stick to the basic principles in terms of VO2 intervals. Um, maybe for those who are maybe reaching a bit of a plateau, quite highly trained, our elite guys, professional, very, very top end age group is looking for those little smaller gains maybe that's where we can start to use it as that next little step uh, once we've already seen significant development and you need that extra stimulus at the end of the day if you've got a really well developed um, aerobic system in total cardiovascular wise respiratory wise etc you, you need different stimulus to the typical person to get more out of it so that, that's where i think it's going to be most applicable this type of stuff we're talking about um, in terms of the cadence side of things this is definitely a training only kind of thing the increase in cadence is not necessarily going to help you other than in a racing and competition circumstance. Like it's, it, as I said before, it's going to actually impact our economy. So for most, most occasions, our preferred, our preferred cadence or natural cadence, what you feel most comfortable on in a particular workload is going to be best. The only reason you might want to spin up at a slightly higher cadence and, and accept that slightly higher heart rate and loss of economy may be to flush the legs out. You might've experienced this in your own riding and racing. You go up a nice hard climb, um, your legs are feeling a, a little bit tired, a little bit fatigued, but you spin up a little bit quicker at a lighter gear and it can just flush them out and just give you that rating of perceived exertion, uh, I guess, lightening, a lightening of the load or it feels better um, because we're trying to clear out some of that metabolic byproduct. That's the applicability in terms of competition or racing, but I wouldn't be using it to get a performance edge or try to be a, a faster or more economical racer. We're looking largely at this cadence increase is to be used more as a training stimulus. How can we improve away from competition time so that when we get into competition and we settle in on our natural or preferred cadence, we're gonna be having a much better time of it because we've got a much bigger VO2, we've increased our aerobic engine, etc. Um, so it's definitely a training only kind of thing. So that's the practical tip. Number two, um, what this may suggest then, so from a practical perspective, uh, I mean, looking at slightly increased cadence, if we are gonna do, do that, some of the recommendations around it from this podcast seem to be uh, instead of using power targets, let's more look at um, going for more of just a maximal effort. So we might actually go anywhere up from 20 to 30% harder than what we think we need to in say a two or three minute VO2 type effort. Basically it's, it's start gunning it, lift your cadence up by about 15 to 20 RPM is the sort of general recommendation. Um, so if you're normally on a 90, 95, you probably want to lift it to 105 to 100 and 110 RPM at least um, in terms of doing those VO2 efforts to get this stimulus we're looking for. Um, 
but what we're what we're saying you might be able to do then and where this podcast was going is that with that increasing cadence and because we're getting this extra cardiovascular stimulus we might actually be able to allow you to reduce wattage as you go so if you start to fatigue and you can't produce let's say you're aiming for 300 watts for a three minute effort you start gunning it probably better off to start out a little bit harder than 300 watts and then fade but if we keep cadence up in theory we should be able to keep that stimulus on the heart which is all right which might actually then lead us to one being able to practice slightly higher power for longer it's going to change how we get our oxygen consumption up um it, it also might actually reduce the total uh, fatigue purely as that power reduces there's there's going to be less um, strain on on how much force we have to produce through the pedals because we're just spinning faster so some of these things might actually play into being able to recover a little bit better so that's the part i also am very interested in but again we're can't emphasize enough we're probably saving this more for that higher train it's definitely something i wouldn't be just going out and playing around i'd get some um clearer advice or, or have a chat to us if you want to uh, work out how to implement it or if, if you want to sort of gauge whether this is something that is useful for you or, or could be useful for you based on your level of performance uh, and training and what you do um ultimately the the other part of it as well is um something i took away from the podcast that again we can probably apply to a lot of our vo2 work is and it's one of those questions that i guess we get asked a bit in terms of recovery should i if three minute on three minute off is getting too easy should i reduce the recovery and in most circumstances probably i mean an interesting point they raised was um using the shortest recovery necessary for our vo2 efforts that's ultimately going to allow you to maintain as much oxygen consumption as you can up near max and that's the stimulus we need if you do a three-minute hard effort and you feel like you need three minutes recovery, well, one-to-one work-to-rest is going to be perfect. If you get to the end of that three-minute recovery and go, yep, ready to go now, great. If you get to the end of the two-minute part of it and go, I could probably go, but I've got an extra minute, maybe early on if you're more that beginner level, keep the one-to-one quality of the effort is going to be more critical for you. If you're starting to become a bit more advanced and you go, yeah, I can definitely jump in the effort and it's not going to impact my ability to execute that interval, using that shortest recovery necessary is probably a good tool, um, especially then when we talk, talk about um, that cadence aspect. Uh, if your power is slipping a, bit, a little bit, like 20, 25 watts as a result of just going a lot harder and trying to spin the cadence up there and, and trying to exert yourself to a max effort, um, that's also going to maintain oxygen consumption. It's going to get you up there faster in the subsequent effort as well. So I like that component, thinking about the shortest necessary recovery. Um, that still might be one-to-one, but obviously don't abuse this. Uh, we don't want to be doing three-minute on, 10-minute off. Um, we want to be doing three, like three-minute on, three-minute off, maybe three-minute on, two-minute off. Um, at absolute worst, maybe three-minute on, five, four to five-minute off, but that's probably a, a very individual case. And I'd probably say we're losing a bit of quality in the session once we're starting to get to that point, I would think. Um, or maybe we're just going way too hard. Um, last practical application to take away from this is when when you are doing that higher cadence, I guess to, to tie in, if we're losing power and like how do we stay within a range? How do we know we're working hard enough? Basically what the, podcast, the, the podcasters suggested was as long as you're breathing hard enough, you're probably at that right point. And I, I assimilate that too. And I like to use this as an analogy for a lot of people who come into lab with us is, um, and as I sit here, I just start to turn and look over the treadmill and I can visualize people being on the treadie and, and running through a test or on the bike. When you get to the end of a VO2 max test, think about how hard you're exerting. That is maximal exertion. That's basically what we're trying to replicate in a VO2 stimulus, regardless of how we try and do it. We're trying to do it with higher cadence. So we're just sticking to the basics and traditional stuff. You, got, you need to be blowing. You need to be working pretty hard. If you get through the first one or two efforts and it's really easy and you're breathing just in and out through your nose, nice and controlled, that type of stuff, and the session only gets harder because it's just getting longer, like we're getting to four or five efforts, um, and you don't necessarily feel like you're pushing really hard, 
maybe there's some things we need to change in that session and maybe that's an opportunity for, for us to maybe explore the, the higher cadence type aspect. Um, if you are feeling like the end of a maximal test where you're blowing really hard, you're going, gee, I'm only just going to get to the end of this effort here, probably a good sign that we are doing things um, with enough of a stimulus. So whether that comes from the higher cadence work and changing it up a bit or whether it comes from that um, the, the traditional two to four minutes on, equal work to rest, 95 to 97% of VO2 max, that classic stuff. If you're getting that sensation of like, I am breathing really, really hard, my heart rate's starting to drift up each effort, um, I feel like I'm genuinely at the end of a VO2 max test. Like that's how hard we're actually trying to push you. So that's a good thing. That's how we know we're getting enough of a stimulus. Your body will tell you these things pretty well. Um, and the more you sort of listen to yourself in that space, there's a difference between the session being hard and, fi- and then what is physiologically hard. You're going to be fatigued regardless, but we want to feel that sensation of, gee, I'm really working physically, breathing a lot harder, breathing a lot faster. I could feel my heart rate come up really quick and I'm pushing on the limit here because we are working near our maximal capacities. We have to challenge that top end to be able to get this stimulus. So that's the last practical tip to take away. So a lot to digest there. And that's why I said, I want to do a bit more research myself and then and go through it really step-by-step step and bring a lot of information. Hopefully I could summarize it pretty well for you. Bit of a longer one. If you want us to do a follow-up on this and, and have Luke and I talk through it and maybe we'll release a, a discussion or release some of our discussion that we had the other day on this, um, let us know. Uh, send any questions through as always uh, on our Instagram page at Mets Performance or send me an email nick at metsperformance.com uh, as per usual. If you've got any other ideas that you want to cover, or is there any other podcast episodes, uh, not just our podcast, but other podcasts like we've had athletes do here, um, get in contact with us. If there's stuff you're unsure about, let's talk about it on here. That's a great way to learn. Uh, it's a great way for us to learn because I've definitely taken a lot out of this. And I'm going to go and continue my investigation um, and, and sort of look through the literature to see what we can find because any way we can keep developing our methodology, particularly from our end, is only going to make us better as practitioners, but hopefully it helps you as well, uh, our listeners, get more out of your own training because that's what we're here for. That's what we do the podcast for um, is to keep things uh, moving forward and keep keep giving you some new ideas to, to be able to keep training on the right track uh, and avoid some of those plateaus that we've talked about a few times. So I'm going to leave it there for that one. Like I said, get in touch. Uh, nick at metsperformance.com by email or send your questions uh, and comments over to our Instagram page at metsperformance. That'll do for today and we'll see you in the next one. Hey podcast, Nick from Mets here. Hopefully you enjoyed another great episode of the Physiology Secrets podcast. If you want to keep up to date with any future episodes we produce, other content we create here, or just anything that's happening in the lab here in general, be sure to click the link below. Sign up to our weekly updates. We're going to receive some absolute gold in terms of what's happening in the lab, what are we seeing and observing, and also some of our old content as well that you might have missed to further understand the science behind endurance performance. So if you are interested, make sure you do click the link below, sign up for those weekly updates, and head over to our social media as well. Follow us along at Instagram, at Mets Performance. Head over to Facebook. We have a great YouTube channel as well. Be sure to check out all of our great content that is already up there, but also some of the great stuff that is coming soon. Thanks again. Be sure to share the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed another episode and we'll see you in the next one.